0: For several weeks, the United States has been warning of a Russian invasion of Ukraine.
1: He knows what he's going to do. And uh, I think he has to realize that it would be a gigantic mistake for him to move on Ukraine. The impact on Europe and the rest of the world would be devastating, and he would pay a heavy price.
0: On Tuesday, in an effort to deter Russian President Vladimir Putin from attacking Ukraine, the Biden administration announced a new round of sanctions, imposing economic penalties against Russia.
1: That means we've cut off Russia's government from Western financing. It can no longer raise money from the West and cannot trade in its new debt on our markets or European markets either.
0: But the situation rapidly changed in Ukraine early Thursday, when Putin began a full-scale bombardment of the country from multiple directions, advancing toward the capital of Kyiv.
2: So far, we've seen scattered explosions in different cities. There have been explosions around the capital. What horrified world leaders and U.S. officials was that Russian planes moved in beyond that point of contact into Kyiv-controlled Ukraine.
0: Those attacks prompted President Biden to escalate the U.S. response with a dramatic set of
1: sanctions. Putin chose this war, and now he and his country will bear the consequences. Today, I'm authorizing additional strong sanctions and new limitations on what can be exported to Russia. This is going to impose severe cost on the Russian economy both immediately and over time. We have purposely designed these sanctions to maximize the long-term impact on Russia and to minimize the impact on the United States and our allies.
0: For Biden, this crisis is becoming another pivotal moment in his presidency. He has vowed repeatedly that no U.S. troops will fight in Ukraine.
1: Let me be clear. These are totally defensive moves on our part. We have no intention of fighting Russia. We want to send an unmistakable message, though that the United States, together with our allies, will defend every inch of NATO territory and abide by the commitments we made to NATO.
0: So without sending troops, how effective can Biden really be at stopping Russia from invading further? Will new rounds of sanctions actually work? And how does a president who's reluctant to get involved in another conflict balance that desire with U.S. obligations to our allies and to Ukraine? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of American government in a time of deep division. I'm Allison Michaels.
2: I am John Hudson. I'm a national security reporter with The Post.
0: John has been closely following the Biden administration's response to the crisis in Ukraine. He spoke with me Thursday morning from the State Department in Washington, D.C.
2: In the early moments of war is the most difficult time to tell what's going on in terms of casualty counts. There have been a number of them thrown out by Ukrainian government officials. There's been social media accounts. You can see smoke rising from the air. You can hear large explosions. You can hear Russian jets flying around Ukraine. But we are still in the very early hours of this conflict. And so confirming and verifying casualty counts has only just begun.
0: These deadly attacks by Russia are a culmination of weeks of threats and smaller-scale advances. Just a few days ago, Russia moved into two areas of Ukraine known as breakaway territories. These territories, like Ukraine, were once part of the former Soviet Union. Many separatist groups in this part of eastern Ukraine, known as the Donbass, believe the region should be part of Russia. Earlier this week, Putin recognized the independence of the Donbass and with that, moved his troops in. These were early signs that a full-scale invasion might be imminent. And now, several days later, Putin has escalated by attacking Ukraine from multiple directions. That's the situation that Biden has been warning the public about for weeks.
2: The extraordinary thing about this war is how many very clear and stark warnings have come from the United States saying that something like this was about to happen, saying that there is likely to be a full-scale invasion. It would likely include Kyiv. It's surreal almost, usually wars are not predicted ahead of time in such detail especially by the United States but it really largely has played out how the United States laid things out and the United States long said that you know US troops were not going to be part of the equation in a war between Russians and Ukrainians so instead it created a sanctions regime with other European allies
0: do we understand what Putin's objectives are here what is he trying to accomplish with this invasion is his goal to occupy Ukraine to take over Ukraine what is he trying to do
2: What he has said publicly since the beginning of the operation is that he is looking out for the, quote, demilitarization of Ukraine. He said that Russia is not interested in occupying Ukraine, but it is taking measures to look out for its own security. What we've seen so far is a barrage of attacks on Ukraine's military infrastructure, airfields, hangars, things like that. The question is, are there going to be attacks of civilian targets? There have already been accounts of civilian casualties. But what will be the focus of the Kremlin? That is the big question. He says he's just out there basically to neuter Ukraine's military. Will it go beyond that? No one really knows.
0: Does the US have any insight into whether or not to take Putin at his word there?
2: Well, the United States' plan all along has been to not take Putin at his word, because, of course, Putin said he had no interest in invading Ukraine. That has already happened. And what the U.S. has warned is that a full-scale invasion is absolutely in the cards, potentially. And really, that has come to light in the recent hours.
0: So if Putin were to make moves to occupy Ukraine, do we know if the U.S. or NATO would support some kind of insurgency here?
2: It's a great question. And of course, if the United States did support a kind of insurgency, that is the type of thing that's often done by the CIA in a clandestine operation that is unsurprisingly not announced to members of the press. There's a lot of questions about that because the United States has a long and sort of checkered history when it comes to arming insurgencies against the Soviet Union and having some level of blowback. But what the United States has committed to publicly is already providing Ukraine with a lot of defensive equipment under this administration, providing more defensive equipment since at least 2014 when Ukraine's conflict with Moscow began. So they are really arming the Ukrainians with significant defensive equipment, but certainly not enough to be decisive in a war with Russia, which vastly outstrips it in terms of military capacity.
0: On Thursday, in Biden's address to the nation, in response to this crisis, he announced this extensive list of sanctions that are designed to really cripple Russia economically, especially over the long term.
1: Specifically, with the sanctions we've imposed exceed SWIFT. The sanctions we imposed exceed anything that's ever been done. The sanctions we imposed have generated two-thirds of the world joining us. They are profound sanctions. Let's have a conversation in another month or so to see if they're working.
0: What do these sanctions effectively do?
2: There were uh, a bunch of measures that essentially add up to cutting off Russia from the global economy and also really limiting its ability to acquire sophisticated U.S. technology that would be necessary to have a diverse and modern economy. Russia is highly dependent on its revenues from gas and oil. And really the goal is to not allow Putin to obtain his dream of diversifying Russia's economy.
0: But how effective will these sanctions actually be? You mentioned Putin's dreams of diversifying the Russian economy, how these sanctions could hinder that. It also seems like at the moment anyway, he has dreams of sort of conquering Ukraine. So how much will sanctions against one thing that he wants outweigh his desire to execute on this other thing?
2: It's a great point because you're absolutely right. The the dream of a modern, sophisticated, diversified Russian economy pales in comparison to the dream of reconquering the glory of the Soviet Union, or at least stemming the loss. And that's why Ukraine is, is so critical, because Putin, according to many analysts, views the westward sway and the westward drift of Ukraine as one of the blackest and darkest of marks on his tenure as Russia's premier. Right now, Ukraine is out of his satellite and it's increasingly been supported by the west. And he wants to send a very clear message that that is not okay and that he's not going to tolerate NATO expansion deeper and deeper into his neighborhood.
0: Well, then, where is sort of the red line potentially for the White House here? Do they have one for when they would intervene beyond sanctions, beyond potential covert arming of insurgents? Will they get involved militarily? Has Biden laid out a line there?
2: Biden's been very clear that U.S. forces are not going to be involved in this conflict. And I've seen no indication that he's willing to change and revisit that, even as we've seen a more aggressive Russian conflict play out in recent hours. And the reason that he's not willing to is, is something that he spelled out very clearly. Russia and the United States are the two largest nuclear powers. When they start going head to head, that's World War Three, as President Biden told reporters recently. And and that's why the Cold War was always cold. These two powers avoided direct fighting. They've challenged each other through proxy forces. And so it's unlikely that Cold War paradigm is, is going to change even as we're out of the Cold War and into the 2022.
0: We'll be back with more on the escalating situation in Ukraine after the break. Hi, everyone. I'm investigative journalist Kylie Lowe, and I'm here to tell you about my weekly podcast, Dark Down East. Each episode, I take you to my home in New England, where we truly get to know the people at the center of the cases we dive into. Join me and dig into some cases you won't hear about anywhere else. Listen to new episodes of Dark Down East every Thursday, or check out the extensive catalog of existing episodes now, wherever you listen to
2: podcasts.
0: One other country sort of involved here is China, who has denied supporting Putin's moves. Have they played any role in this situation? Is there a role China could play in navigating this crisis going forward?
2: Yeah, they do have a role. But you haven't seen sweeping statements from the Chinese that their sometimes ally Russia has every right to invade and and conduct this military operation. They have sort of offered somewhat milquetoast statements. The Chinese ambassador to the United Nations during an emergency session was basically calling on restraint and calling for dialogue and intensive diplomacy. Um, Really sort of milquetoast terms that didn't really condemn either side and it didn't fully back either side. The question is beyond the political support What sort of economic support are they going to provide? In some ways, this may make Russia way more dependent on China's economy. If it's cut off from the West, China becomes a main player. And for Putin, that limits his options. It limits his flexibility. It makes him more subservient to the Chinese. And he does not like that. But that is going to be his main option if the West follows through on the sanctions that it's promised.
0: You know, we've talked about the U.S., Europe, and now China and how they may or may not be able to influence Putin. Who has Putin's ear here? Who is likely to be able to convince him to stand down or to sort of change his approach?
2: You know, it's a great question. The real sort of Putinologists who've studied him and have seen how he views the world have largely come down saying that Putin does not have a significant amount of respect for European leaders. The way that he lays out the world, he sees the United States, he sees China, he sees India, he sees these big powers as the real dominant forces and ones to listen to. Um, You're going to see, I think, European leaders trying to engage and trying to implement a ceasefire right now as much as they can. I think everyone has significant doubts at how successful that effort is going to be. People think that basically Putin is going to do what he wants to do, and we're just going to see and wait. And there's very little that anyone can deter him when it comes to that.
0: To that point, though, why now? Why did Putin choose this moment? Does it have to do with U.S. leadership? Does it have to do with something else geopolitically happening in the world? Why did he feel like this was the right time to go ahead and invade Ukraine?
2: Well, there's so many sets of of things that have gone on. I mean, one trend that has really angered him in recent years has been ever since 2014, the West has been loading up the Ukrainians with defensive and military equipment. What Putin saw and what enraged him over the years was that Ukraine is becoming closer and closer to a country that is almost a NATO ally without the final step of Article 5, which is a sort of collective defense treaty. And it's just something that he could not tolerate and wanted to stop. The other trend that he saw was inside Ukraine, its government increasingly open and pushing towards the idea of one day becoming a NATO member. so all of those things, coupled with Ukraine's increasingly westward orientation, was something seen as just intolerable to Putin right on his doorstep.
0: My last question to you, John, is perhaps the most frightening one, which is, what do we know about Putin's broader ambitions? Invading a neighboring country is a really big deal. Does Putin plan to stop at Ukraine, or does he have broader ambitions here?
2: I think Putin is sending a very clear message that former Soviet states, states that were part of the Soviet Union and share a sort of historical and cultural past with Russia and the Russian Federation are off limits. People were questioning whether or not Georgia was a fluke in 2008. That's when he invaded there and started occupying Georgia's separatist regions. People wondered if that was going to happen again. After 2014 in Ukraine and what we're seeing now, I think it's very clear that Putin wants to send this message to the rest of the world. Now, when you talk to U.S. officials, when you talk to Western leaders, and when you hear them giving speeches, they will say that what's at stake is the entire idea of sovereignty, of respect for other nations' borders, I think in a more realistic way, respect for countries' borders has been violated in many ways by countries all over the world, the United States, in Iraq. People point out an embargo of Cuba. Many different areas, sovereignty has been violated. So it might be too sweeping to draw the broadest of conclusions. But I think a narrow conclusion that is also accurate is Putin has shown once and for all he's not going to tolerate post-Soviet states flirting with NATO and really challenging him at his borders. I think that is beyond the pale for him.
0: All right, I guess we will stay tuned. John, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Yeah, great to be with you.
0: This has been another episode of Can He Do That? For updates on the latest in Ukraine, you can visit WashingtonPost.com. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Charla Freeland and Arjun Singh, with logo art by Greg Manifold and theme music by Ted Muldoon.